0: Welcome into this Five Clubs Conversation. I'm Gary Williams. When you look every single week on the PGA Tour, everybody who wins is a story. They're all good stories, whether it's Roy McElroy or Lee Hodges and everybody in between. And if you look at the way this year has started and the people who have won, and obviously Nick Dunlap is particularly unusual. But you know who else is? Grayson Murray. Grayson Murray is somebody who a year ago probably was hopeless. I know the feeling because he had something that was taking over his life and something that even though he thought maybe he could control, he had no control over it. And that is the disease of alcoholism. We're going to talk about his win at the Sony Open, but we're going to talk about how he got there, the road back to feeling like there's faith and hope in your life. His conversation is next. This Five Clubs Conversation is brought to you by Golf Pride. Golf Pride knows that a grip isn't only a grip. It's the one piece of equipment in your hands on every single shot, and you might not know it, but it has a huge impact on your game. In fact, Golf Pride recently conducted a first-of-its-kind study showing the impact of worn versus new grips. It showed that, on average, a focused grip of adept golfers gained an extra two yards of carry when they played with new grips. So what are you waiting for? Refresh your grips. Refresh your game. Visit GolfPride.com today to learn more. Golf Pride. Respect the grip. And with that, we welcome in the winner of the Sony Open, Grayson Murray. How are you, my friend?
1: I'm good, Gary. How are you, bud?
0: I'm doing great. You know, when you look at the beginning of this year on the PGA Tour, it's like, really? Can you, can you write scripts that people go, no, nah, I, I don't believe that. That couldn't happen. That won't happen. Um, and there you are right in the middle of it. And we're going to get to all the golf because unless you did what you've done over the last eight plus months, there'd be no golf. You know that. Um, so let's start, you know, the darkness before the dawn. Um, what were the things that were happening in your life that had you think that, God, I mean, where's the hope? where's the light what what was going on
1: yeah i mean i think um you know i think my identity was in golf and it was tough because whenever i had a bad day on the golf course it seemed like there was no outlet besides to maybe go to a bar and drink or go to my hotel room and drink and um once i figured out that my identity wasn't golf and it was uh first and foremost, my Lord and Savior, and um, and then secondly, my fiance, and thirdly, it was my family and friends. And once I figured out that I could lean on all three of them and, um, you know, golf became kind of secondary, I guess you could say, um, it became a lot easier. I became that um, I didn't have to turn to that alcohol when I had a bad round, and um, that was about nine months ago, like you said now. And... Life has been so much better because of it. Um, you know, obviously golf has been better, but uh, we're talking about life here, and it's a real it's a real game changer for me. And, um, you know, I think um, this sitting here right now talking to you in this conversation, I, it wouldn't have happened if I didn't find my identity nine months ago.
0: You know, as somebody who is walking a similar journey as you are, and that is, you know, seeking that daily reprieve and, and being in a life of recovery. And I'm, I'm okay talking about it. I'm more than okay talking about it. it it's actually helpful for me. Um, and, and the reason I, I wanted to pursue this is because you and I thought we were terminally unique. We're like, there's nobody else who can think like I do. Um, there's no way. Uh, but you and I think similarly. We think like alcoholics. And it's hard for people who are not to even understand it. And thank God they don't. Um, as far as you know, saying, I give up, I can't do this anymore. Was there a conversation? Was there a solitary moment that you said, you know what? I, I gotta give up in order to try to, to win, to try to get back to being normal, to to have peace in my mind and in my life. Was there a moment or a conversation?
1: Yeah, I mean, well, first and foremost, I think giving up, you know, I wanted to give up on a lot of things. I think I wanted to give up on golf. Um, but I think what made me want to give up on golf was because I wanted to give up on things in life first. And um, like I like I mentioned, I think um, I, my identity was just wrapped around too much in golf. And once I figured out that golf wasn't the issue, my bad play wasn't making me um, – you know, miserable. It was the other things off the course make me miserable. And, um, I think once I've got to, uh, put my, put my hand around that and wrapped around and said, you know what, I got issues. Like you just mentioned, it's okay uh, that some people don't understand them. Um, but I am going to go to someone who can understand them and we're going to get some help and basically just letting my, um, my ego, just leave my body and let someone who is very understanding and this type of topic help me out. And that's what I did. And it was about three years ago this summer that I actually went first time to rehab. Mm-hmm. And that, um, that was a very, very, uh, mind and body out of, out of moment experience yep. where I kind of got there and was like, ah, oh, you know, I, I'm going to be, I'm going to be, I have my, I guess you could say, I'm going to be a better alcoholic than these guys I'm going to be in rehab with. I think I know more than they do. And, um, you know, maybe I don't drink as much as they do, or, or it doesn't affect my job, maybe as much as they do, or I haven't lost everything like they have. And so I I, I thought maybe, Hey, you know what, my, my alcoholism isn't as bad as theirs. Well, I was totally wrong. Any, and mine was just as bad. Um, And luckily for me, I was in a place where I felt like everyone in there was a little older than me and maybe have gone through it and um, it didn't work the first time or it didn't work the second time. And there was no judgment in there whatsoever. They're really good to me. They opened up to me like I opened up to them. Um, And it was awesome. It really was. I was scared to death. And when I walked out of there, I was like, all right, I'm done. I'm never going to take a sip. And fast forward a little bit. And I did, you know, I thought maybe, Hey, you know, I can just like every other alcoholic, I can have one sip again and it'll be fine. And, um, it took a few few tries to kind of get back to where, uh, nine months ago, here I am. Um, and I used those experiences, those learning lessons and rehab to, um, this final last time, I, I would say that I didn't have to go back to rehab. I kind of did it on my own and learn, uh, or, use some of those um, resources from the past and called some people. And um, I'm not going to ever say that, like I know everything about this t- mm-hmm. topic cause I never will. Um, but I do have a better understanding and kind of know my triggers. Those are, you know, words that we like to use a lot are triggers. <laughs> like what, what causes me to want to pick up a drink, um, avoiding those triggers for me. And you know, I think just knowing how good life is right now and not having to even want to pick up a drink um, has motivated me.
0: You know, when you were talking about I it's funny, you know, you, you, you be around people who who had similar experiences, you find yourself smiling because there's a relatability. Uh, and it's not smiling, um, in, in like you said, there's an absence of judgment when you're around other people who have had a similar path but what your mind was doing was you know rationalize like maybe i'm not as bad as they are and the justification that well you know i haven't experienced the depths that some of these other people have, and that's what the disease is doing to you the disease is is trying to get you to believe that you can drink in a civilized way again um, and it did it to me i've had i've had multiple yeah. relapses and i would get to six months eight months and go yeah you know what I can I can have a single malt scotch and I don't even like scotch and put my finger Mm -hmm. out. You know what? You know where I wound up? You know, sitting in a closet in the dark with a handle of vodka, because the disease the disease has one goal to kill you, and Mm -hmm. and it wants you to be vulnerable, vulnerable to seek isolation. Was isolation your your? your place? Were you trying to get back to your hotel room? You're trying to get away from people. Was that a a garden variety behavior of yours to get away from others?
1: Yeah, I think, I think it became isolation at first. I think it was um, let's go do this in public and just not make a fool of myself, but just let people know that like, I have an easy way out. If I do go play good bad golf, like they saw me at the bar till midnight, you know, like, Hey, you know, this, this kid uh, just shot, 78 and he was in the bar for till closing the bar down like hey good for him he could shoot 78 so it was almost like a it was like I was trying to defeat this this disease uh in public in a way and it was like a kind of a uh my way of like trying to show off a little bit right like a mini John Daly and and I love that guy so I shouldn't even like mention but he does have this disease that we have and yep um you know I think I think that was like my uh my way of like trying to stay relevant in this sport was to like, oh Grayson can be a mini John Daly and play golf and drink and um keep his card. And and then it became, you know what, people know about it and it's this isn't working. My my strategy's not working, so to speak. And now let's go to my room and just do it in silence. And uh that's kind of where it became became the last, you know, before these this last nine month stint I um when i finally became sober nine months ago i was you know doing it drinking before the rounds in the car or in, you know on the way to you know in the parking lot at the course or um i was doing it you know in the hotel room before i played and um yeah it was it was a lonely lonely feeling for sure gary
0: you know grayson when i went to treatment the the you know this this whole thing about you know hope uh, I remember distinctly after you know doing this assessment, where you almost feel like, God, am I being incarcerated? Like that's and and there is a there's a soul stripping kind of experience of of what that's like. And I've never felt more hopeless. I felt my career slipping away. I felt my family being at a point of of no return, with fear and anger and sadness and desperation. And I didn't know when the hope was going to start again. Um, Do you remember when you started to feel like, I do have hope? And maybe I have hope because I have a little bit of faith that maybe I can do this, do it today, and then there's tomorrow. Do you remember where you felt like your mind and your heart were somewhat turning a corner and believing there was hope for you?
1: I thought there was hope. day i entered rehab i thought um this was you know going back to almost three years ago and then when i let my guard down that's when i lost my hope again and it was really hard to see that like hope for me again for a while i felt like um it was it was a dark time there for basically two years of i didn't see I didn't see any hope, Gary. I didn't think that uh, I thought my career was going to be over with. I thought I was um, a failure. There was, there's a lot of things that I felt um, I let people down. And um, the only hope that I can always go back to is just my family and my mom and dad and how they never gave up on me. And um, when you see people like that, who, um i'm lucky because there are family members that's why people end up on the streets you know that's why people end up with nothing Is there's finally everyone around their circle say you know what they're not he's not going to get better we're just going to have to let him do it on his own and i was lucky and had those you know my parents that never never gave up on me and you know a lot of times it was hard because you were like mom dad like I'm a grown man. Let me just figure this out on my own, you know, stay out of it. Um, and they didn't, they, they got, God behold, they, they, they never gave up. And, um, that was the turning point was when I, um, came back from Mexico last year and on the, on the flight home, just feeling like I would rather be jumping out of this airplane than living with my anxiety level. And, um, I got home and basically locked myself in the room for three or four straight days, didn't eat, didn't drink. Um, and I said, I, I just had, I had that moment where I was like, God, if you're there, please listen and just let me just get me through these four days. And I promise I'll be done with it. Like, thank you for giving me this chance to give up one more time on this disease because I I just want to be done with it. And that's what happened. Um, those four days were lonely and, and very, very tough, but I surrendered again at that point. And that was uh, that was the turning point of all of this.
0: You know, it's the biggest word is the surrender. It's it's it, there are a lot of paradoxes with the disease, as you know. Um, and that in order to to, to to win, you gotta give up. You gotta surrender, you gotta stop fighting it. Uh, which you did, you said something immediately after you won the Sony Open, and it was you know it was something that you attributed to something you heard from somebody else, and it was a combination of you know Jim Valvano and you're from that part of the world, Stuart Scott, mm-hmm. um, you know, when you can't fight anymore, let somebody else fight for you. Uh, and you mentioned your parents. Um, did, did you get the sense that your parents at the end were were was there more fear? In, in sadness was there anger was there frustration what do you think was their overriding emotion that they had seeing their son who they had to feel helpless that is a certainty um mm-hmm. my mother certainly felt it um what what do you think was the overriding emotion that your parents were experiencing right there at the end
1: fear they're fearful they're fearful of just were they going to wake up and one day get that phone call that I'm, I'm gone? Or are they going to get that phone call that I driven and killed someone? Were they going to get that phone call? You know, whatever it might've been, God, God will be you know, willing that it wasn't, but whatever they, you know, those, those horror stories you hear about in the news of a good person, just making a wrong decision and because they are, you know, under the influence. That's what I think they're fearful of. And, um, You know, they can't put me on a leash. They couldn't put me on house arrest. They could whatever they wanted to do to just not make me make that decision under the influence they couldn't do. And they felt helpless and they felt a lot of fear. And, you know, that scared me because I think um, I knew that if I were to do something, whether it had been what I just said, just something that would have really hurt someone's family or my family, um, or myself. I think it would have not only taken me down, but it probably would have taken my dad down real quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I get emotional about this because of course. he's, he's just, he's been my rock and, um, he lost his best friend to this disease and, um, and, and a lot of other, um, habits that I had his best friend had. So it was, it was a very, um, sad time because I, I didn't want my dad to have to go through not only with his best friend, but his son. And, you know, he's getting up there in age and it would have been, it would have been very, um, not only would it ha- have been a, um, a, a bad thing for our family, but it, also for, you know, I have a brother and sister that need neither dad as well. And um, I have a mom that needs their dad. And now I have two nephews that need their, you know, people. And um, once, I, once I started thinking the bigger picture, not just about myself, um, that made it clear of what my message was, um, you know, that God was sending me. And once I felt that message, it, it just like was a piece that came down and um, that I could give my father and my mother and everyone that, hey, you know what? they can go to bed and not have to worry about me. Um and that's the greatest gift I feel like I can give them as a son now at 30 years old.
0: You know, Grayson, there are, there it's it'd be very hard for anybody uh to not have the disease of alcoholism, whether it's directly or by maybe one or two degrees of separation, it is it's everywhere. Um and you know, my mom before I went to treatment said something, my mom's the most selfless, compassionate person in the world. But her point to me when she said this was the damage that it does beyond that the person who is in the grips of it, uh, the collateral damage is extensive. And she said, you need to understand when you get well, which you will, that you, you essentially stood in the middle of your family and pulled the pin on a hand grenade because whether it's PTSD and the fear that your parents had um, or children like I have, you're in a different stage of your life and thank God. You know you're you're attacking this at a younger age. Um, it's it's it does a ton of damage to a lot of people, um, and that's just that that's the thing that I think it's lost for a lot of people who who maybe it's not directly affecting. Um, is that there is a ripple effect? What it could have done to your dad, what ostensibly it would have done to your brother and, and to your sister, and I can understand why you get emotional because I, I can tell you this that. And I'm okay saying this now. My my wife at the end, and again, I'd walk in the door every day, and it, there was a lot of tension in our house. Um, she said, "You make you make lying so easy because I was trying to cover my ass from the fact that I was I was in the the, the throes of this thing," and and I and I kind of shrugged and I tried to get past the tension that was in that room. And when I finally got the help that I need, and I could you know, tell her the truth, which was, it wasn't easy. It was exhausting. Every day I was, I was locked in, in just this desperate level of dishonesty. Um, so to be able to be honest, <laughs> to tell the truth, and by the way, not be guilty of anything. You talk about peace. And, and I, I say all those things because when I watched on the golf course uh, at Sony, you were uncommonly level. And I'm like, that's not just because he knows he can do this, there's something else at work here you're 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 dealing with a level of grace, and I know gratitude that you probably have never experienced in your life. Have you felt as calm and as level as you have in the last last eight months doing what you're doing to treat yourself and be in recovery?
1: No, I mean, I think a lot of it is uh knowing that I don't have to juggle a second job anymore. <laughs> like It's you a alluded full-time to. job. It's a full-time job and try to do two full-time jobs. You can't. And, um, so now I have my full focus on what I love to do. And now I can give even more focus to the people I love and, it doesn't wear you out anymore. It's like one of those things where you walk out on the on the course and you feel calm and you feel like, hey, look, look around for for a moment and realize, hey, this is what I get to do. Like, this is fun. Like, this is not, uh, you know, they say, it's always a saying that if, if you love what you do, you don't, you never have to work a day in your life. And I was like, what does that even mean? Like, yeah, you do. Like, but now I understand, like it is, you know, it's true. I really do feel like I, don't work a day in my life when I'm out there all competing because it's just what I love to do. And, you know, there are times where you're going to have to put in the work and that you're not going to like, and you know, that's just part of it. That's part of anything we do in life. We're going to have to put in some work if things, you know, aren't going our best or what I you know, we want, want to happen. And, um, that's just part of anything in life. You're going to have to work out a little bit, but, um, it it definitely feels like I have just one job now and I can give a lot of my, um, a lot of my attention to the people I love who, you know, pretty much gave me all their attention for so long.
0: Uh, Grayson, you don't, won't remember this. You and I met, um, at the junior invitational, uh, and I remember exactly where we shook hands. You were walking off the 10th green, you were walking back to the 11th tee at Sage Valley. Um, and I, I was, you know, look, you, you were, you were among the elite of the elite. Um, not to mention you had a connection to a family that, that I think the world of like you do, the WAH family. So I, mm-hmm. I, was, I, I was taking a particular interest where you were going next. And, and, and the college years were circuitous. You went from here to there. Um, and and do you think, have you done any examination on you know where your mind was in your teenage years? Because it's not just about your drinking as you know. It's about your thinking. It's not mm-hmm. just about the alcohol. Like there are things that I thought and did and, and cynicism and resentments and being pissed at people that that. Yeah, it can be a byproduct of me being being under the influence, but it can be more than that. Do you think that that the early part of your life that you're thinking was off kilter at all?
1: I think, well, I mean, I started drinking when I was 16. So, yeah. you know, I mean, that was the time of like before college where you're, yep. um, you know, really important years of your life and, you know, your brain's still developing and all that. So yep. I definitely think it, it had an influence on, on the way I thought. And, um, you know, I will never, uh, my my parents were, I, they couldn't raise me any better, right? They, they raised me. Uh, if, if you met my parents, you would realize how, good of people they are and and how I ended up how I did. No, I'm just kidding. Um, They really are the very most gentle people in in this world. And um, I think at a fault to, they were a little too lenient on me at times. And, you know, looking back, that's how they had to handle me because they knew how I would, you know, react if they didn't. And they were just being good parents. And I think at times I, when I got upset and and wanted to take the easy road, which is to probably quit at times, they were like, okay, well then we're going to figure out a different plan. And that's what happened a few times in college. Right. I wanted to quit Wake Forest and, you know, I had Jerry Haas over there saying, no, you don't want to do this. And then I had my parents saying, well, if we do, we're going to have to figure out a different plan. And um, it was always like, I took the easy way out and I, I felt like I was always going to have a second chance. Right. And, I got a lot of second chances in my life, um, more than most people do, and you know I think it came to a point where I was like, "How many times am I gonna get this lucky? Like, how many times is God gonna give me another chance?" And I didn't want to figure, I didn't want to find that out. I wanted to take action on my own, and that's just what I had to do. The
0: um, the behaviors that that we all regret. Um... And it's it's not just people who you know, are alcoholics. Uh, we got to atone for our behaviors the best we can. Um, what has been your method and in, in the way that you know you've gone about, again, it's it's we can't regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. Um, you know, I've had to make a lot of amends, and I've had to, you know, right a lot of wrongs with with people that that, you know, even things that I subtly maybe wasn't even aware of, and then you start to examine like, shit, I, that, I gotta, you know, I gotta make that right. Um, and it's not about beating yourself up. It's not about, God, I was a horrible person, but I did things that I regret. Um, what is, what has the process been like for you with respect to that?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's been, it's been a long road, right? Like I think all, all throughout, you know, let's go back to when I was 16 till now it's, that's a lot of years. It's fourteen years of you know making a lot of wrongs, and um, I think for a while um, it was uh, just living in total, uh, almost almost like I'm not doing anything wrong, right? Like I'm in, in, I'm in delusion, uh, delusional, and um, it, it's it became a point where it's like, all right, if people, enough people point, point this out, it probably is something I'm doing wrong. Right. It's not, it's not a them problem. It's a me problem. And, um, it's been, you know, it's going to be, it's still, this, this process will never end. I think, as you know, it's not like a, it's not a a date where I have like, all right, I got to make up to all these people by this date or it will never happen. I think over time you earn people's trust. Um, that's all you could ask for is people's trust and forgiveness. Um, I, I truly had to, you know, forgive myself first before you can start uh, asking for forgiveness from people. And, um, once I gave myself the, 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 I guess the, the forgiveness that I needed, um, it became easier to ask for forgiveness from people. And, I really uh, truly believe that everyone out there believes in second chances, loves a, loves a, uh, a story of, of second chances, and um, I don't think anyone in this world has has gone without a second chance or third chance, and 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 you know had to, have made mistakes and have to ask for forgiveness. And so, um, at this point, I'm, I'm at the piece of people are going to forgive me. It might take time. Some people are going to do it on their own terms and that's okay. It might not be on the terms that I want, but, um, and then the, for the people that don't, I guess it's, it's at the end of the day, I, I whatever, you know, if they can go to bed happy with their decision, then that's all I can ask for. Um, I'm not gonna uh, sit here and say I, I want forgiveness from certain people. Um, I just want I just want to to make sure that everyone knows that uh, if they got a bad version of me in the past, they they can expect a better version of me going forward.
0: You know, last thing on this this part of this conversation, um, again, I you know, it's amazing you find yourself in these situations and you're like, God, how did I get here? And I was on a two way kind of like this, but I had a stranger sitting in the room with me in a treatment facility. And my wife is on the other end of this conversation, and she's been put through hell. And she said, "How am I going to know it's going to be different?" Not an easy question to answer. Um, mm-hmm. And I and and you know this was not rehearsed, but I said to her, "I said, you know what? I'm I'm done. I'm done telling you. I just have to show you." And that's kind of what it is. It's behavior. It's action. It's, it is what you're doing every day because, believe me, my life became a con. Every day was how do I get from the beginning of the day to the end of the day without being found out. Um, and, and it was, like I said, it was an exhausting exercise. And it was like crossing the line of a marathon. And then it's like, okay, i got to figure out how I'm going to do this again tomorrow. That was every day. So I told her, I said, I'm, I'm done conning you. I just have to show you. Um, Mm -hmm. so it's not about speaking as much as about just doing it. Let's get to, you know, getting back to what you love and finding the joy in doing something that you're, you know, supremely skilled at doing. And that is playing golf. Um, when did it become where it was, okay, I'm finding balance again. I was totally tilt. I was completely tilted. And now I'm finding balance again and equilibrium that I can pursue this again, um, when did you start to feel that
1: pretty much immediately after I finally gave up drinking like nine months ago? I mean, I think it took a couple of weeks to be like, all right, I'm actually doing this. Like, it's not just like saying, you know, we're actually going to show people or show myself that I'm, I'm done drinking and it's not going to be one of those like, ah, oh, let's go five months and then maybe we can pick it up again. Like you're all in this time. Right. So once I like, convinced myself or showed myself that, Hey, like, this is the last time we're, we're, we're done. And, um, it, it was immediately after that, like, I feel like the calmness started immediately. Um, you know, it was, um, the golf, like obviously I, I started having pretty good success, um, quicker than I thought. Um, and it was, if anything, it just showed me that like it was always there, like I always had it in me um I had no- I had no one to prove it to um except for myself, and I think my mom told me like not long ago she's like, Grayson, I knew it all along, like if you just were to ever put it down, like what you had you know all this talent that you had in you would show, and um she was right, I mean, I think it's it was just hibernating for so long. And, um, I, I feel like that now that I have this burden off my shoulder, I can, um, I can really just have, have fun at it again and be a kid again. And that's the most exciting part I think is like knowing that I can go out there and, and, and swing freely. Like a kid, I can go out there and, and, putt freely like a kid. I had my hands back. I mean, Gary for a long time I couldn't like my hands were one of the, like I had to drink to just have my hands. And you know, I don't have that problem anymore. I go out there and I have shots that I haven't had shot. I mean, I, I just can hit shots, I can make putts I can I can do the things that I haven't had in so long. And it's a cool feeling. Like it, it's like one of those feelings that um I don't know how to describe it, but I, I will say that feeling like a kid again is really cool, um, and it's it's a it's it's a feeling that um, when I go to the course and I see these six, seven, eight year olds practicing and going out and just whacking balls, that's like that's I guess that's the way I can say I feel right now.
0: The um the, the final round at Sony, um you you were, you know I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Rounders, with Matt Damon, where yeah. he's just hanging around, hanging around. He's got alligator blood. You just kept hanging around, uh, and you're hitting and making you know these terrific up and downs, fabulous bunker shots, um staying present, staying staying in the moment, shot for shot. Um just take me through. The, the processing you were doing last five, six holes and your awareness level of where you were. And obviously you had Keegan right there. Um, just give me, give me a thought about just looking back on it now, a few weeks removed about your ability to process what was going on.
1: Yeah, I feel like, um, I feel like I was at peace, like pretty much the whole, the whole, the whole tournament. Right. and, that gave me the chance to have a, a chance on the final nine holes on Sunday. And that's all you can ask for when you're teeing it up on Thursday. Just give me that chance um, with nine holes to go. And that's what I did. I put myself in that opportunity. And um, it was um, it was a day that I think me and Keegan were a little flat. Both of us were um, trying to hang, hang in there tough all day, which we did. And I really um, – I felt like I was just, I was going to win all day. I felt like I was going to make a shot or make a putt that was going to be that moment that I was, you know, going to say, all right, we got this. And I, you know, I had a lot of good bunker shots coming down the stretch and, and, and hit, you know, made the putts that I needed to make and, um, and, and really, um, just gave myself that chance on that last hole, just said, Hey, we, let's make birdie, you know, Ben on's in there already at 17 under. And we know we have to get to that to even have a chance for a playoff. Um, and that's what we did. We hit that shot in there on, in regulation. Yeah. And I knew I was, I knew I was going to hit it close. It's like one of those like moments where you're like, all right, just give me the yardage. I'm going to hit this close. I don't care what the yardage is. Uh, I'm going to find a way to get this in there close. And You know, you at that point you feel a little, uh, a little, I guess, like it's out of your hands because Keegan still had a putt to win the tournament, and uh, that's a tough feeling. You know, when you're standing there and you're like, "All right," you know, Keegan's one made some big time pots and some big time moments, so you you expect to hit for him to make it. And when it didn't go in, we kind of were like, "All right, have I have a chance again? Like I got this chance on a playoff and." Uh, when the pit when the playoff rolled around and and I, and I didn't hit my best drive and we had to lay up again, it was like, you know what i I have this long putt, and I know I'm gonna have to make it because one of them are gonna make it, and I'm gonna have to just force another playoff hole and that was our mentality, and that was that moment that I thought I was gonna have at some point during the day was that big putt and that that's when it happened and um as I look back on the patience and the trust I had all day. It was like you just said, just sticking around, sticking around. And, um, it's the mentality that is easy to like, say out loud, like be patient all day. You don't have to, you know, force anything. Um, but at the end of the day too, like you're playing against guys who've won in the past or or really good players and they're not going to falter. Um, you're just going to have to rise above them at some point. And, um, you know, maybe, maybe in the majors guys will falter a little more because it's maybe a little more pressure to want to major more things come from it. And that's just, I think that's the Brooks mentality. I think he sticks around, sticks around the majors and he's found that that works for him. Um, and that's what I'll try to do for the rest of my life on Sundays is to have that mentality. And, um, at the end of the day, it's like you have nothing to lose. Like, you just go out there and really try to give your full focus for, you know, the time that you are out there. And if you get beat, then who cares? But we have a saying right now that uh, my my mental coach and I worked on, and that's just if you go home and look in the mirror and third person, if you just ask yourself, did I make Grayson pr- proud today? And if you could answer yes, then that's all you can ask for.
0: The um, you know, that Kepka playbook. I was actually sitting there at the PGA when he deconstructed the field before he went out and did just that about mm-hmm. eliminating those who think they can, those who who might, but they're going to falter. That's really the Nicholas playbook. Jack will see, he said it countless times in his 18 major wins. Like he might have played his best six times. Just wait for somebody else to make make a mistake. And in particular, the U.S. Open, he said. Most guys see those 18 flags and go, "I can't do this." Like, I, mm-hmm. it's, it's just, you know, just dig in, hang around, um, and and you know, let somebody else make the blunder. And it wasn't like those guys did. Uh, obviously, Ben had a short putt after he made the bomb. Um, in the aftermath, I, I didn't think it was going to be an easy thing for you to go right to the American Express, um, mm-hmm. but you did, and you honored the commitment, and you played. Uh, the time with the people in your life, your fiancé, your family. Um, my dad always said to me, collective achievement is one of life's great re- rewards. Um, you didn't do this alone. You didn't get back across the finish line. And it's different from when you won the first time. You're a different, you're a different person. You're at a different place. Those conversations, those moments, sharing it with those people, what was that like?
1: Yeah. I mean, I haven't seen my parents since then. Um, you know, we FaceTimed and whatnot and, um, but yeah, being with my fiance and, and her folks and, um, uh, her family, you know, over these last few weeks, we've kind of adopted Palm Springs as our house out here on the West coast. And, um, it's been, you know, like you said, I, I played American express and, um, sometimes it's really tough to to just kind of back a win because of all the obligations you have. But, um, I felt like it was the right thing to do, and also um, I think uh, it was important for me to to to, sh- to play in front of to her family and to show them that um, you know this is their son-in-law that they're about to get, and he's not gonna, he's not going to be a giver upper. He's going to go out there and even with his not his best stuff, he's going to grind it out. And um, you know, unfortunately, we missed the cut, but it was. Um, you know, having this time to just spend with them has been, uh, has been really, you can't put it in words because, um, those are the ones that, you know, are going to be with you when you do miscuts, and you're going to go, uh, you're going to go through these points in your career where they might not be the best highlight reels. And, um, anytime you can, you can spend the, the time with the people like that, that have, um, you know your best interest whether you're whether you're winning or um missing cuts is is always special and um you know it it finally feels like that i can you know obviously nick winning at american express what a heck of a story that was and i'm so happy for him and he's a really good kid and deserves it and um i feel like my wins kind of on the back burner a little bit now because of you know an amateur just winning and um it's. I I, I talked to him after the tournament too, and I said, "Look, buddy, don't get it. Don't get uh, tired of saying, you know, thank you to all these people that are going to come up and congratulate you because you're going to you're going to win a lot and um, get used to it. And it's one of those things that it is tough because you're trying to practice. You know, Monday, Tuesday, or Tuesday and Wednesday before the tournament starts, and you're getting kind of grabbed at every angle. But um, it's it's one of those things that you have to just. Embrace and, you know, tell yourself that if, if I want that's what I want to be doing. So let's get used to this because we want this to happen a lot.
0: The, um, the horizon of opportunity for you now is very different looking than it was a couple of weeks ago. Signature series events, the Masters. Um, when you look out there and, and being in the position that you're in as far as schedule, uh, what's the most important thing that you need to do? to be right to be productive to be the best that you can be with the season that you have in front of you
1: i think for me is just to uh to realize that um i'm 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 gonna be tired i'm gonna i'm gonna play a schedule that um i'm gonna be playing against the best players in the world who have been doing this for a while who have this schedule for a while they I feel like I'm kind of a rookie in a sense because it's just a new schedule for me, new opportunities for me. Um, and I'm going to be, I'm going to have to just, uh, to really, uh, listen to my body and listen to, um, when I need rest, just take it and, um, uh, realize that I'm going to be prepared. Um, there's a different way to be prepared now besides, you know, golf prepared, physically prepared, you can be mentally prepared and still perform well. And, um, I think um, I think just really focusing on uh, each and every opportunity that I am able to get each week. Don't look too far ahead. Don't look at what um, what I am in. Just look at next week, which is Pebble Beach, um, and and really take it just week by week. And um, I think uh, my plan right now is to never play more than three in a row. Um, my body, my mind just cannot handle more than that, um, and. It's kind of when I was looking at the schedule, that's kind of how the bigger events fall. It's like you can play about three in a row and then there's, you know, a couple events before maybe a major, you know, another signature event. So I think they strategically do that for the, for the guys who really just want to play about 20 to 24 events a year. Um, and, you know, just be excited. Like it's a, it's a great, it's a great thing what I'm, what I'm doing, like the opportunity that I had now and um, get excited that I could play against, you know, the Scotty Schefflers and the Roy McElroys and uh, the Jordan Speece and more cows and everyone that, you know, that, that has been at the, the top of our game for so long. Um, it's, uh, I, I think it was like Brian Harmon who texted me and I said, I get to see you more this year, buddy. And he's like, I can't wait. You know, it's like, it's one of those things that's like some of those guys you never got to saw, see much during the year. Um, and now, now it's like, Hey, I get to see these guys and I get to play against them. And, uh, get excited for it, and know that uh, I'm one of them too. Now it's not um, it's not just uh, by accident that I'm in these fields. I've earned my way, and um, and 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 you know, relish those opportunities.
0: All right, let me get you out of here with these five quick questions. Is there a thing or a place you appreciate now more than ever?
1: Um. <laughs> Uh, I would say bed, but I've slept so much before. Um,
0: that wasn't I really appreciate- sleep.
1: I- that was just <laughs> exhaustion and passing out. I know. I know. Um, I appreciate my fiance more than ever right now. Okay. Uh,
0: the player this year who will win for the first time that no one knows that well right now. Is there somebody, give me a future bet, somebody who's going to break out?
1: I would say I got three for you. Kevin You. Who was actually the first round leader this year? Yep. Or this week, Kevin Yu is going to win this year. I think Steven Yeager is going to win. I mean, I'm I'm going off the leaderboard right now, but it's nobody. True. No, he's
0: he's obviously he's been super productive on the Corn Ferry Tour. That'd be a great story. Yeah.
1: And then I think Sam Stevens, who came in second at Valero. Yeah,
0: last Sam year. Stevens is like a 47 year old man in a 27 year old body. <laughs> like. I did yeah. a little thing with him last year, and it's like, oh, my God, this guy is like, he, and I mean this in the best way. He's like old man yeah. walking around, family already. Um, yeah. No, that, that's a very good one. All right, give me the thing about the Masters that you're most looking forward to.
1: I think the practice rounds leading up to it. I think I get to, you know, I think I get to play five times. If I'm not mistaken, I don't want to say anything wrong here. On, uh <laughs> But I think I get to play five times. And if I want to bring someone, then I think they have to be sponsored by the members. So hopefully we can get it to where I can bring a couple, you know, my longtime coach and then maybe my caddy. And uh I think those are the moments I'm going to look forward to is the times when the crowds aren't there.
0: All right. What is the oldest thing you own?
1: Uh, ooh, ooh, ooh. I guess it would be the oldest thing I own. That's like materialistic. Anything, um, whatever
0: it might, it might be a book. It could be a car. It could be a sweater. It could be anything.
1: I don't know. I'm not, I don't like to hold on to things <laughs> like It would be like a trophy or something that my mom has kept. You know, Like a junior like those, trophy? Yeah. I mean, I haven't, my mom's like one of those, people that love to just keep things and I'm like mom you can get rid of it it's like well what if your kids want it you know I'm like mom they're not gonna want to get rid of yeah (laughs) but I really don't have anything I mean the car I have now is the oldest they're the longest I've ever kept the car so that's cool
0: (laughs) okay all right last thing what what is the grouping you'd most like to have on a Sunday tied for the lead one guy and I don't it's not like I want a piece of them, just the opportunity, the experience, the memory of of coming down the stretch tied for the lead with who would it be? Uh
1: I mean, I guess in a major I'd have to say Tiger because I would like to think that like not only am I playing against them and and learn, but I'm also learning at the same time. Um, there's a way that you can compete and still learn at the same time. People don't understand. You don't have to just sit back and walk and give him the stage. Um, so it'd be Tiger in a major for sure. Okay, Grayson, um, you
0: do realize that if you're tied for the lead on a Sunday with Tiger, that the world will be completely off its access, that, that he will be tied for the lead of a major. I, I was there with him in 19 on that Sunday and that was, it was unglued uh if it was this year uh first of all it'd be the greatest you know memory and moment of your life uh I, I think the world might explode uh and think about the ratings i know that the playoff games are doing 50 million uh that'd be nuts no i mean look that's the dream of anybody i mean you he, he was your inspiration was he not
1: he was i remember just watching him as a kid like i would finish my golf practice early because i wanted to get back and watch him you know around dinner time and it's like you knew he was going to make that putt on that last hole every time, and he delivered pretty much every time. And it was it was incredible to watch. Like I think he's the ultimate competitor, and we've seen other. You know, I think Michael Jordan had that same mentality, and um, you know they're they're just wired different. And it's like they even they they go about the life a little different, like off the course. And uh, I wouldn't want to be in Tiger's shoes just with all the chaos it brings, but. The guy has been uh, fabulistic off, and I hope he can stay around as long as possible.
0: I, I texted you after the win, and I, I said some of the. Look, it was inspiring. It's inspiring to me. You know, I'm inspired by people every day that people don't know because they're doing, you know, productive things, healthy things, uh, great things in their lives. And for someone like yourself, who's in the public view, to see you do something like that, it's inspiring to me because, look, every day you know, we, we gotta, it's just for the day, you know, and, and I am, I I don't mean this in a patronizing way. I'm proud of you. Um, I'm, I'm more importantly, I'm happy for you because winning is winning, but finding peace in your life uh, is the greatest reward and the level of gratitude that I know that you have. Um, thank you for your candor. And, and I appreciate you having this conversation.
1: I appreciate you, Gary. I really do. I think, um, you know, we can't do this stuff to get alone and, uh, we're going to need each other, uh, you know, and don't feel free to, uh, if you need anything from a 30 year old that doesn't know anything, uh, you ever need, I'm just a text away. And seriously, I think anyone watching, um, you know, I always see DMS pop up and, you know, me thanking them, but it's, it's all of us. We have to thank each other for uh, being so open and vulnerable because, um, You know us us males don't i think tend to like to be as vulnerable uh just as a uh, it's just the way it is and i think anytime we can open up and and be very vulnerable to each other is um is really special and um you know golf golf aside like i know we're connected through golf but we're we're connected more more than that i appreciate
0: it absolutely you said it right after you won listen you you, you, you talked about it because, you you know what, it's your responsibility to help somebody else. And you don't know how, you might, but it's your responsibility uh, to, to pay it forward, to, to give it away in order to keep it. Um, and I got it. I know it. Um, and I appreciate it. So thanks again, buddy. I look forward to seeing you soon.
1: Of course. I appreciate it, too.
0: Really appreciate Grayson Murray. Uh, his candor, him talking about things that maybe you've not heard before. Maybe you have with somebody that you know. And, and one thing I'll say, and I'm not speaking for him um, with respect to, you know, forgiveness. He's got atonement to do. So do I. So do really all of us. Uh, but if you look at somebody who's 30 years old who is finding his footing, forget golf for a second, in life And then all the other things that come after it, I promise you that it begins with his sobriety. And he's an interesting story going forward because if you go back, he's the same vintage as Justin Thomas and Jordan Spieth and Daniel Berger and Xander Shoffley. Same class, same bunch of guys. And he was right there with them. And if he finds some level, not saying he's going to be those guys, but close, that would be a hell of a story. Appreciate him. Most importantly, Appreciate all of you out there listening to this Five Clubs Conversation. We'll see you next time.